Just in case some of you might be wondering, uh, as you know, uh, for the last year and a half, I've lost track of the time, Steve Pritchett has come on board as our part-time uh, leader of our worship music. But then why is he sitting down there if we're here worshiping and singing? And part of the arrangement that the elders have with Steve is that uh, every four or five weeks he can take a Sunday as a breather and just sit in the congregation and uh, enjoy the service without having the responsibility of leading. And so we're grateful for the others who have stepped up, but he's not being a slacker. This was something that we thought was fair to afford him. Well, next Sunday, uh, Brad will be returning to his exposition of the book of Daniel. And I do want to say publicly, the three messages that Pastor Brad gave on the 19th Christmas Eve and then last Sunday are, I think, perhaps the best messages I've heard preached on the prologue of John. Well, I might have done better 10 years ago. No, I'm kidding you. Um, it really, they were excellent messages. And I, I say that not just to compliment him, but if you were not able to be with us uh, for those occasions, you can go online and I encourage you to listen uh, to those uh, messages. Well, to state the obvious, and it's already been stated, a new year, we've embarked upon it. And this last October, uh, I do what I've been doing every year for well over 30 years. I always go to the office supply place, and I buy a month-at-a-glance paper calendar. And this is something that you can hold and that I carry in my briefcase. I understand most of you are more technically savvy with your calendars if you keep one, but I've been using the month-at-a-glance for, for literally uh, decades. And as I put the 21 away, I have saved all of them for 44 years. Why, I don't know, but I have. Some might say it's OCD, but I'll leave that for others to determine. Anyway, um, I started filling it out, though, back in the fall, looking to this year, and perhaps you've done the same thing. Uh, I've already got written in for this month. Uh, there's a certain day I'm going to Life South to donate blood. Uh, I have a couple of breakfasts lined up this coming month with a few fellow pastors here in the city. Um, looking to March, I've already written in that uh, my granddaughter Sadie and I are going to go together to an event at the Performing Arts Center. I'm trying to arrange a trip to Hungary in March uh, in conjunction with Project Hungary, one of the missions we support and on whose board I serve. I'm registered for a conference in Kentucky in April, and it goes on and on. And most of you probably have done something very similar. Such planning and looking ahead, and I really appreciated Pastor Brad's prayer about our endeavors. It really ties in really well with the three verses I'm going to read to you in just a moment. But such planning is good and even necessary for people who want to live an orderly and productive life. Does not the book of Proverbs give us the example from nature with the ant? And the ant is commended for its industriousness and for its planning for the future. But there is a snare that we potentially can fall into with all of our planning and all the things we purpose to do. And it's, it's a pitfall that can pertain to not only the surroundings of our life, the circumstances of life, the material things of life, but it also can pertain to spiritual goals 
and certain things we want to attain in the way of serving God, using our gifts that He has given us, and participating in God's kingdom as it's being expressed through this local congregation. But the pitfall, the snare, is in this, that there can be an assumption that we can start to presume that what we have planned is automatically in line with God's purposes for us. Uh, we can be taking it for granted that the course we have charted for 2022 is indeed in step with what God's purposes are for me, for us in 2022. The Lord's half-brother by the name of James, who wrote an epistle that bears his name, gives a warning about such presumption. And the warning he gives in James chapter 4, in fact, you can turn to James chapter 4 now, the warning he gives, which is one of a good number of warnings in his epistle, is for people who were, I think, very boldly pressing ahead with their own agendas. I don't suspect that that charge pertains to hardly anyone in this room. At least I'm not aware of anyone who was just boldly wanting to forge ahead with no thought to what is God's will for us in one endeavor or another. But I think in subtle ways, we still need to take this warning to heart because I think we can subtly slip into being presumptuous and not being attentive to what our attitude should be about that which we are seeking to do and to have. In fact, one of my favorite uh, Bible commentators that I have on my shelf, he refers uh, to these verses as an area of high risk for Christians. And it's just three verses in James 4, so follow along as I read verses 13 through 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Something that's a bit unusual about the warning that he issues here, and he actually uses a little phrase there in verse 13 that he repeats in verse 1 of chapter 5, in the English translation I just read, come now. And actually, this is the only place in the entire New Testament, at least in the Greek New Testament, that this little phrase appears, and it's these two times in James. And it was quite common in Greek literature in general. And the reason why I'm pointing it out is because it seems to me that James employed the use of this phrase to bring a particular force to the warning he is delivering when he says, come now, which also could be translated as, look here, or I think the NIV says, now listen. And this little phrase was meant to convey and give the tone of insistence even in a brusque manner. So he wants their attention. He wants our attention. 
And I would also point out what is at the heart of the problem he's addressing. I don't need to reread the verse, you've just heard it. But did you notice how repetitive it is? And in fact, again, going back to the original text, it has first person plural in the text over and over. What is it that these people are doing? They're intending to, we will go, we will stay and spend a year, we will engage in business, we will make a profit. These folks have decided that they're going to go where they want to go and they're going to stay as long as they want to stay and they're going to financially benefit from it. That is what some would call a form of practical atheism. They're obviously a part of the Christian community here that James is writing to, but there are some who are actually embracing an attitude and a perspective of life that functionally almost makes them look like they're atheists, not taking into account that there was a sovereign God at work in their lives that they should be looking to. So this is the pitfall I want to draw to our attention this morning that we're to steer clear of, and that is losing sight of the sovereignty of God over our lives and consequently starting to flirt with the idea that our lives will become what we desire and that we are not dependent on divine providence. And James confronts that notion by pointing out two uncertainties about life that we need to keep in mind. The first is the uncertainty that goes along with human ignorance, and the second is the uncertainty that tags along with the fact that there is a certain human frailty that characterizes our lives. In the first part of verse 14, uh, we see him touching on the human ignorance that afflicts us all. He says, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Now, I've already said it's good to plan. I think it's good for churches to plan and for people to plan. And, but with all that we anticipate and all that we expect and all that we hope and with all that we plan, at the end of the day, we have no guarantees that these things are going to come to fruition in this coming year. Proverbs 21, excuse me, 27 verse 1 says something very similar. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. This is not a new thought for you, but I am addressing it because I want to bring it back to the forefront of our minds as we're moving forward into a new year. Last December 10th, just last month, uh, probably most of us were doing very similar things. If you didn't have your Christmas tree up, you probably had bought it, you're putting it up, you're decorating the house, you're in touch with relatives, you're making your travel plans and finalizing those, you're buying gifts uh, for people, and there's just, you had a, a certain way that you expected December to go. But that's not what happened for the people living in Kentucky. On December the 10th, they were doing all the things that we were doing getting ready for Christmas holidays in the new year. And 78 of them did not live to see December 11th. Uh, many, many more 
are staying in motels and in temporary quarters because their homes have been destroyed. This is not a concern that only people of faith think about. The world has always thought about these things. We see it most often expressed in literature and in music and certainly in some of the other arts and in film. But the fact is, human beings have always been somewhat preoccupied about wanting to know and have the assurance of the future. And what does the future hold? And some people even end up with all kinds of maladies because they've obsessed and worried about it so much. That's why we still have psychics. I, I just can't believe people spend money on this. Uh, you just go online and look up psychics in Gainesville. You're going to find there's at least a half a dozen here in the city. And uh, they give readings, and it's to help you get a handle on your life, what you can look forward to, what you can expect, you know, et cetera. There was one that caught my eye as I was kind of surveying them. And the one that caught my eye was called Christian Psychic Readings. And the woman who does it goes by the title Sister. So it definitely has a certain religious ring to it. And she even posted her fees. If you want just a standard psychic reading for 15 minutes, you can get that for 27 bucks. She has another one called the Full Life Reading. There's no limit on the time, and you can get the Full Life Reading for $97. But if you want a spiritual psychic reading, and there's no limit on the time, that's going to cost you $297. People want to know. There's a, there's a certain insecurity on not knowing what is coming, you know, around the corner. As the proverb says, you do not know what a day may bring forth. We're reminded that according to Scripture, we are not omniscient, only God is omniscient. Only the Lord God knows all. So we have human ignorance to deal with, but also there's this matter of what I'm going to call human frailty. Because look at the picture He gives us. Okay, you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Life is transient. Uh, there's a delicate play on words here in the way James penned this originally. Just reading it literally, it's appearing thereafter, indeed disappearing. I mean, you're there, you're not there. And James is simply echoing the declaration of other biblical writers. David wrote these words, King David, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. The psalmist also expressed in Psalm 144, Lord, what are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you think of them? They are like a breath. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. And then Job had so much to say about life and its hardships, but to pass along two statements by Job, for we were born only yesterday and know nothing, and our days on earth are but a shadow. And then he followed that up with, my days 
are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. They skim past like boats of papyrus, like eagles swooping down on their prey. What a picture of the transience of life. You know, golden eagles have been clocked swooping down on their prey, as Job used that example, at 150 miles an hour. I mean, they hit that bird so quick, if it wasn't for slow motion photography, we'd have a hard time seeing it with the naked eye. And so, I repeat, James is, is not unique in reminding us about the brevity and the transience of life. The first hymn we sang, I'll Worship the King, this is what prompted that hymn writer to include, I think it's in the fourth stanza, we just sang it, frail children of dust and feeble as frail. And he's put that in there because that is very scriptural. And the transience of our lives, uh, it's not just because sometimes life can be very short compared to what people would expect to be an average lifespan, but also when we measure our lives just by eternity alone. When we think of being ushered into eternity and without end, our little lifespan, even if we make it to a hundred, is going to be infinitesimally small, a tiny speck compared to our existence for all of eternity. So even by that standard alone, yes, our life is just a fleeting shadow, is just a breath. You have been going to funerals probably for most of your life. I have been going to funerals and officiating funerals. And I was thinking about this. Um, the youngest person that I have officiated burying uh, was just a baby a few hours old. And the oldest person that I've officiated burying was 102. And I have buried all kinds of people and all of the ages in between. And I have buried people who have died from disease, who have died in an auto accident, who have been murdered, who have committed suicide. These things, most of them except the disease, we often have some forewarning, but these others, often it comes as that very harsh, cold slap in the face when we're confronted with it. It's not unusual. I, I find most people usually make comments about how fast life is speeding by. In fact, Brad, I think you referenced it just in the previous class on Worldview. Uh, how often we hear someone say, my, how time flies. And nothing reminds us of that more than raising our children. While they're in our homes, it's a constant reminder. I mean, it's like, I think I was just going to the store to get diapers, now I'm going to take them for their driver's test. I mean, it's, you know, where did this time go? And something that I often say to remind people to get a proper perspective and they always find it unsettling, and you're not going to be happy that I'm going to say this now, but I'm going to say it anyway. I've been telling people this for years. If you have a son or a daughter in your house right now who is 9 or 10 years old, you've already had them half the time you will have them if they go off to college. Wah, wah. I know you, you could have gone all day without hearing that or being reminded of that. But it's true. It's true. 
our youngest grandchild is nine, Oliver. I mean, if he goes away to school, Joel and Caroline have had him half the time they're going to have him in their home. Well, unless he becomes the 20-somethings that come back home. But that's another, it brings to mind, uh, years ago, James Dobson did a series of videos, and we were showing him in our church, and he uh, was addressing as a live crowd a bunch of Navigator staff, you know, the Navigators, and he was addressing the staff, and he was addressing this, this principle of it's hard to let our children go, it's, it's hard to cut the apron springs and have the go out... Uh, the uh, apron strings and have them go out the door and no longer be under our immediate supervision and oversight. And he was kind of belaboring the fact how hard it is for people to emotionally just come to grips with that. And some parents actually dread it. But then during the question and answer time, this one navigator staff guy raised his hand. He stood and he said, you know, uh, Dr. Dobson, he says, it it can be hard, but it's not so bad if you think of the alternative. (laughs) That's that they never leave. See, And it's interesting that we live in an era today where people are living as long as they ever have, apart from the biblical characters back in the earliest days of recorded history. And so when someone makes it to be a centenarian, we make quite a big deal about that. And you would think we would have reason to be encouraged. I'm going to throw a couple of statistics at you. You may not have known this. In 2010... So that's about 30 years ago, or excuse me, (laughs) 10 years ago. (laughs) In 2010, there were about 53,000 people in America that had reached at least the age of 100. 53,000. By 2020, that number had arisen to just under 94,000. And some of them up 105, 106. They're predicting that the 94,000 that were alive in 2020, over 100, that by 2040, in another 20 years, that number is going to more than double to 196,000. And the people who track these things, the consumer markets, the economies, the trends, and all of that kind of quantitative data, say that by 2060, which is 40 years from now, there will be just under 600,000 Americans who are 100 years of age or older. But you know, that's, that's not going to be enough. Even for the people to make it to 105, I'm convinced they're still going to say, where did all the time go? It, it just flew by. And if you've ever walked around old cemeteries like I will do on occasion and even just reading history, it's just phenomenal how many people die in their 50s and their 60s. And the lifespans were just so short. Well, the angst is fairly universal, and even as Brad was mentioning in the first hour, uh, just because someone is not a Christian doesn't mean that they don't have their finger on the pulse about what some of the big questions in life are about. And on this matter of the transience of life, I have in front of me the lyrics to a song Stop This Train by John Mayer. Now, now let me just interject here before I quote John Mayer's song. Did we not all hear our senior pastor a couple of weeks ago quote the demon rocker? Hey, I've got a pass here. (laughs) 
certainly John Mayer in the Department of Morality and Purity is no example. But on Stop This Train, I think he's written a song that millions of people identify with. And I'm not going to read you all the lyrics, just a few excerpts. Stop this train, I want to get off and go home again. I can't take the speed it's moving in, I know I can't, but honestly, won't somebody stop this train? Don't know how else to say it, don't want to see my parents go. I'm one generation's length away from fighting life out on my own. A little later on, I'm so scared of getting older, I'm only good at being young, so I play the numbers game to find a way to say my life has just begun. He concludes the song, stop this train, I want to get off and go back home again, I can't take the speed this thing's moving in, I know I can't, because now I see I'm never going to stop this train. And he repeats that refrain three, ta three times, I'm never going to stop this train. And for someone who is dealing with those realities and does not have the message of the gospel, what a desperate plight to be in. What a desperate plight. So what is the Christian's response to the reality of our brief existence here on planet Earth? Is it to become a bunch of paranoid saints wringing our hands and wondering when is our time up? No, that's not what the other authors of Scripture say or what James even says here. Because despite these uncertainties of the transience of life and of our ignorance not knowing what tomorrow brings, he drives a stake in the ground in verse 15. These people have got their plans to go to make money and go to another town, all that. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. The answer to how we approach life with confidence and with hope is to acknowledge the sovereignty of God in our lives. Lord willing is not just a cute bit of spiritual verbiage to be employed by Christians so they can sound spiritual. To say the Lord willing means whatever I have on my calendar, whatever plans and expectations I have, I need to see that through the lens if God wills it so. And it should express the true conviction of our hearts. Whatever is accomplished this year, whatever is lost, whatever choices are made, are subjected to the will of God. And that's why when Paul was saying farewell to Ephesus after his first visit there, he said, I will return to you again if God wills. When he was writing to the Corinthians at the earlier part of 1 Corinthians and at the end, twice he says, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And he said the same thing to the Romans in Romans chapter 1. He was hoping to come and visit them face to face, but he said, if God wills. And when we state that, believing it with all of our heart and soul it means that we are acknowledging our dependence upon Him. 
It means you are willing to bow your will before God, declaring His supremacy in your life. And with that supremacy comes the right for God to fulfill or leave unfulfilled any plans, aspirations, and expectations that we may nurture. When Charles Spurgeon was addressing this topic, I don't know if it was this text, but uh, when Charles Spurgeon uh, was preaching in one of his sermons on the sovereignty of God, in his very uh, forceful and powerful way, leaned toward the congregation as I've read about it, and looked his congregation in the eyes as I'm looking into yours, and he said, whether you shall live to reach home today or not depends absolutely upon God's will. Whether you make it home today depends on His will. That is not cause for angst or insecurity. What more security could we want? What more assurance do we need that our well-being is in the hands of God? And so it's, it's sad to me when people express a certain fortitude, courage, optimism, and yet are totally pagan. It makes me sad because I realize that some of these qualities that we would say are admirable, it is not going to be the thing that gives them the absolute hope and assurance of what happens after they die. You probably... Well, I'll tell you about that in a moment. <clears throat> a couple of other verses I want to pass along to you. When I said that whose better hands to be in than that of the Lord's, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 8, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, that is, he has decreed, he has planned, he has laid out, that word means all those things, that he ordained the creation of the moon and of the stars. The psalmist in Psalm 111 says, He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. So God has appointed and decreed the covenant he's established with his people. But you know what else he has ordained? Psalm 139, 16. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. And I read that verse, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. You or I are not going to live one second longer or shorter than a sovereign God determines. And notice that the writer doesn't just say that He has ordained our days not just from birth to death, but from conception to death. You see my unformed parts. Moses wrote in Psalm 90, so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. And then the last two Proverbs I will pass along this morning. Proverbs 19, 21, many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. And Proverbs 5, 21, for the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches 
all his paths. It hit the airways like a flash flood on New Year's Eve day, and you probably saw it, that a very iconic actress on the last day of the year spent her last day on planet Earth, Betty White. Uh, she was just three weeks away from turning 100. And I've enjoyed many of her performances on film and that kind of thing, as many other people have. But something that, again, made me sad, and I'm not saying this, don't, please don't misunderstand, I'm not saying this to ridicule her or to mock her or to denigrate her, but because I enjoyed her so much as an actress, and whenever I saw her interview, she seemed like a pretty delightful lady, as much as you can determine in personal interviews. And they did a little snippet of an interview, and this was just in the recent years, because she's well into her 90s, and they asked her about how she saw the future, and she said, quote, we don't know what comes next, and then with a twinkle in her eye, she said, it is a secret. And I thought, that's sad, that whatever comes next is unknown, and that it's a secret. Uh, I'm happy for her state of mind that to her that was not a frightening thing, but I am grieved for her soul that if she doesn't know more than that, then she has been ushered into eternity apart from the presence of God unless something had taken place in her life that we've not heard or read as yet. We don't know. It's a secret. No, it's not a secret. You know, in the little five chapters of 1 John, five chapters, just a little over 100 verses, John mentions the word no 32 times. One such time near the end of his little letter, he writes, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And then, of course, that famous conversation that Jesus has with Martha there on the uh, threshold of uh, Lazarus's uh, burial. He says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And I trust that all of you in here today do believe that. It's from the words of God's Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So, we move forward to this new year, and as Brad says, we don't know whether it's going to be worse as you prayed or whether it's going to be better, but there's one thing that will not change, and that is a loving, merciful God will continue to direct the paths of His people, and that nothing will usurp the truth that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose, even when the things are hard. And we have that knowledge and that certainty because of what the table represents set before us this morning. It's because of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf that we have these truths to cling to as an anchor of the soul.
Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for the tremendous assurance that comes to us in the Scriptures. I thank you that the Bible is a very realistic book. It's a practical book. It does not merit the charge of pie in the sky, but rather life with all of its cruel cuts and with all of its blessing and assurance and hope that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, most of us long for a lengthy life. Some are granted it and some are not. But whether our lives be short or long, may we live them as unto you, and may we always have on the tip of our tongue, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.